I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's topic was IPUs or um, intelligent processing unit. Some people would call them smart NICs or sidecars or supervisory computers. You might know them as Amazon Nitro. And I'm giving you a lot of background here because when I did the uh, podcast, I didn't start the recording until we were about 15 minutes in. So that intro is important to understand where we pick up and start talking about the impacts of these supervisory processors and how they can change the industry. And, and we had a lot of divergent opinions and thoughts about what this means in for Intel, for ARM, for AMD, for the industry as a whole. Um, this is clearly the trend of the future, building supervisory systems uh, as additional processing capability into our core servers that then abstract out how the bus is interfaced, how the routine peripherals, network activity, GPU, or storage is abstracted in these systems. That's what this is about. And it really is set to create a new way to manage heterogeneity and diversity inside of our hardware and server ecosystems. Helps hyperscalers, it's gonna help edge people, it's gonna make a really dramatic impact. Um, and that's what we're talking about. So you're gonna jump right in the middle of this discussion and I hope you enjoy it. Seems like I was just on a call with you. Uh, it just seems like it. Can't get enough, huh? No kidding. Uh, that was a eye opener. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's not, um, it shouldn't be a surprise to me at this point. Um, the uh, requests versus um, actual expectations um, have been uh, limited or, or <laughs> not, not um, lining up um, at all by the CPU. Sorry, y'all. I forgot to turn the recording back on. But keep keep running, and we'll keep going. That that that, that was my. <laughs> so so like so, and and so now here with with the uh, with the um um with the IPU processors, uh, I think we're, we're kind of doing sort of the the same thing. Is that we we're we're now identifying areas where we've usually relied on on the cpu or or the gpu in, in some cases mm -hmm. uh and uh and saying like this could be done more efficiently with a dedicated system uh i mean there, there is a precursor for that already for, with with like dedicated uh cryptocurrency mining rigs on on system on chip so why not do that for other channel compute or what used to be thought as channel compute applications, but which have their um, their very specific domain like networking and so on? Well, that's the the way I've been seeing it described, and you know, VMware did a ton of announcements about this at the last um, at their last VMworld. Um, is it really does create, it does provide an abstraction interface for a lot of these systems. 
So instead of having to expose a GPU or a NIC or a storage device, what you're able to do is provide a abstracted version of that that then has improved, limited, changed management capability, right? So if you need a way to interface to you know, storage that doesn't look like a SCSI device, you can rewrite the interface in the IPU to be a SCSI device or to, you know, maybe even, uh, and it goes both ways, right? From the, the systems, the system that you're trying to run, it might not have any storage on it, but you can make it look like that system has local storage, even if it's network storage. Um, so, so you're it, saying that's yeah. you're saying that this is more like the uh, the, the various Kubernetes uh, interfaces, like CSI, CNI, uh, but for hardware. It's the way the way I've I've seen it, and and there's there's a lot of variation with with what these are, but fundamentally, it's like an it's like a a bus abstraction device. Like it it, it reconnects net, your NIC. But it's not even the NIC. It's just a device that listens to your your peripherals bus, and then it can create simulated peripherals for you. Mm-hmm. In in right, and it's it's super important, right? It was part of this started back when the hyper when the hyperscale providers. This is why it was called a smart NIC initially. Their networking requirements and innovations were happening faster than they could program the ASIC. Right. So it's instead of modifying ASICs to do whatever tunneling, VPN, network protection they needed, they started saying, all right, let's just put a computer in there, rewrite the, you know, do the networking at as, as in a dedicated processor and, and create an abstraction. So machine, both sides of this benefit, right? They're like, okay, our networking can do routing, tunneling, BGP, whatever stuff we needed to do, and then make it look like we didn't do any of that back to the server that we're dealing with. Um, and so it, it pulled all of that abstraction out. And then, so we're seeing that happen with GPUs where it's like, oh, I, I need, I want to create a GPU farm, but I need to make it look like I have a GPU in my system, even if it's not there. And so I can wire together, but doing that at the bus level is much more, um, preserves the current systems, um, integrity rather than having to change you know the, the operating systems mm-hmm. to think it has something it doesn't you're just sit you're, so you're stimulating this, that on the bus yeah this sounds very familiar now to me from taking a look at folks that were trying to kind of build new chipsets and bypass some of the fpga stuff that they were doing uh and intel i think bought the Barefoot Networks that was doing yes. some of this. And um, I think they're still pressing forward with Tofino, which is the, the, the code name for that. And it sounds like what you're describing, um, Rob. I And there was a point in time when um, Mellanox, was also getting into this whole smart NIC arena and was trying to mm-hmm. had it had a I don't know if it was a it was a chip or a chipset that they were trying to make work and I think they put a bullet in the project but um, I I think I see where you're going with this I mean 
It's an, Rich, I think I remember that same thing. And, and um, aren't we in regards to this potential, you know, offloading or work specific, um, I'm not saying this very well, but you get the idea of breaking out the work stream of a particular job and attempting to put the work where it's most effectively um, resolved, whether it's uh, can be on the compute associated with a NIC or an IPM uh, um, uh, FPGA versus a traditional CPU, et cetera, et cetera, isn't one of the biggest problems, if I remember right, with the Mellanox thing, not so much whether it worked, but similar to if we were talking about GPUs or FPGAs in 2005 or 2010, it's that most people didn't have a definition or enough of a workload to justify coding to making that work because right. it was they too were, hard to do it back then. Yeah, now, there, were, there were a couple of things. One, yeah. one was that that was one of the impetus, that was an impetus behind the development of the language uh, P4. Yeah, yeah. And then the the other aspect there is that the cost of these these little puppies was was daunting, and they did just said looked like it was going to be a real real difficult at the time. And I think one aspect, Rob, you'd probably be better to check me on this. Um, by doing it in the way you've just described, you avoid a lot of the work that happens bouncing from the network, from, from the internal bus into the, v, into the virtual machines and then back out and then back in. It, it looked like a, it looked like a, a hopscotch kind yeah. of, a, of a deal. And the whole notion here is by putting that abstraction in there, you're not you're not wasting a lot of, of context switch time if you want to think of it that way. Am I am I on? That's well. There, there definitely there definitely is an aspect for um, virtualized systems where, and actually, you can see the same thing happening in containerized systems where we're doing a whole bunch of sidecars to protect networking traffic yeah um where where there's huge amount of overhead on the system that's going into shaping the network traffic um in some cases it, it did resolve and create a lot of tromboning in some cases it it just was impossible to secure because somebody could break out of you know that they could they could send packets and detect you know to, you know basically yeah. there's all sorts of security problems because one thing you could literally do with this is term tromboning thank you um, you you can literally um, create you know a hundred NICs a NIC for every VM on a system if you wanted to do this and then give the hosts dedicated VMs right there's there's so much you can do to enable um, security or simplifications in configuration at scale by basically you know munging hardware creating so, fake hardware so who who seems to be the advocate, the, the strongest advocates of taking the IPO, IPU path? Or, I mean, Intel would strike me as a logical advocate, at least in public, um, by saying, look, we bought Barefoot, we're staying with Tofino, we're moving towards, you know, kind of a, a smart NIC ecosystem at a new price point and 
it's there to basically make your lives easier. Who else? It, it would be harder to find out who wasn't because remember, NVIDIA bought Mellanox for this tech, you know, not just for this tech, but this is, you know, um, mm. NVIDIA is, is pushing it, I would argue, even harder than Intel. Um, I, I haven't seen as much out of AMD, but I suspect that they're they're playing in this. They're they're making really real progress on the the compute server side. Um, VMware is all over this, so they are they are basically positioning SmartNICs as the next next iteration of how you run VMware um, yeah. with moving the moving the virtualization controller into a SmartNIC. Yeah, um, makes sense. It well, it does. It's it's. I mean, at the moment, I, you made I, a comment. I, I, or Joanne made a comment about cost. It's it's actually a pretty expensive extension yeah. on your hardware. The new server, no joke. But hey, Intel's got to make money somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, but don't forget, Broadcom is around this too. Yeah, I was going to ask, what about what about Broadcom? They're pushing even harder than uh, their counterparts. But they're doing it in a very interesting way because um, the link that I put up, by the way, in the chat, the reason that I'm very uh, interested in Graphicore is not only the approach to bringing parallelism, but they have the IPUs in the cloud, which they're testing and have gotten great results for. But they're coming into it and along with, with the Broadcom approach seems to be AI driven. AI driven. Yes, is let it, us bring you AI as quickly as possible. And let us start, if you think about the way the AI workload would flow, it makes, in, in my little pea brain anyway, perfect sense for that to be in a parallel and, and or federated environment. Those yeah. would be the architectures really, that I would look at. A sharded, it's definitely a sharded environment, yes. Yes, so, so, yeah. So if, um, it, it would seem that, um, well, I'm not suggesting that there's not a good use uh, for this type of technology. Um, it would seem that it would be easy to run the risk that even uh, the largest of organizations did in the early days of attempting to create environments that were FPGA or GPU heavy. Uh, and that was that it was much easier to make an environment available than it was to make that environment used efficiently uh, to a level that justified the investment. And so my, if I were to pick a concern um, and to reuse Joanne's phrase of my pea brain around this particular subject, especially if I were to have a concern right away, it would be that in order to get the value out of this expensive upgrade to an environment where you're effectively saying that I'm going to spend a thousand dollars on a server, and then I'm going to spend $400, maybe $500 making it a server um, and three quarters in order to try to get, um, you know, 80% use out of both. If I don't plan for the infrastructure to do that, then I'm likely to not get my return on investment. Uh, and I would think that that would be the biggest risk. It's not as if you just, oh, I've got some VM environments and I'll put this SmartNIC in it to run it. And if you're only running three or four VMs on the machine and you're not maxing out the CPU processing, you're not going to get the value that the cost would uh, and, indicate. You know, initially, it's got to be put in place and and be backward compatible with the architectures that are already there. Right. To your point. So it's kind of like, yeah, I, I bought this. I bought this car with a you know 
an, an amazing uh, engine and, and, and running gear, but, you know, I, I've got dirt roads to drive on. Or I'm so, still yeah. waiting for the nuclear <laughs> rods that'll go in it. <laughs> but this is this is what but to me this is what makes this so powerful and actually why it's, i think it's it's really significantly helpful on edge right nitro you know one of the powerful things about amazon nitro is that they actually were able to do their um apple their imac service so apple has an imac service where you can you can get an imac as a and the reason that works is because they packaged it in nitro so they just took literally a, a, a Mac. I don't even think they strip it out of the, the aluminum case. They they stuff it in a rack. They plug in interfaces into a board that is nitro, has nitro systems. And then that abstracts all of the behaviors of the iMac into Amazon standard interfaces. Interesting. So, and is it, is it, is it used kind of as a template for, for, is it used as a template for VMs, or is it is it is it literally going to the hardware? It's is it literally a, going to the hardware. They just have a an iMac. It's like you get a dedicated iMac um, yeah. as part of this service, and then the, the Nitro provides the abstraction to turn all of the Apple stuff. Like they didn't have to fix Apple's whatever. They just they they already have an abstraction layer for it. Um, and so if you think that this, and this is where it gets, so there's, there's elements of that, like all of the Amazon, you know, Amazon's doing really leading in these cases, right? All of the outpost work that they did for Amazon only works, not only works, but predominantly works because they have Nitro act as a barrier between whatever networking environment it's sitting in and the, the actual infrastructure. So they can be like, oh, wait a second, I can actually shut everything down in this case because I have this 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 abstraction. Yeah. I clearly need to do a deep dive on Nitro. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm much too thin on that one. It's a really significant part of their capability um, from that perspective. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I would, I would step back from that for one moment and look at the kinds of solutioning that would be most advisable for that. Think anything that would run in parallel to the advantage of in medical care, cancer research, climate change, all the big type heavy apps in one respect. And then also at the network level, Think far back in your memory banks to Road M, which was the way, or or even Tumbleweed, uh, to the way that you would start to filter traffic based on priority, based on the workloads that were coming across in the network traffic in packet form. So in the bad old days, way, way, even before my time, it was EDI and then some form of telecom, et cetera, et cetera go fast forward and now you have huge draw on the network for video, for audio, for email, for standard apps, for VM, and all of the other accoutrements that would go with it. This is the chip set or the set of hardware that would allow you to start partitioning off the types of workloads that would have priority in the network to the compute and or storage. That's my two cents. 
And I see a lot of applications for it. Is do you see that? Because it the some of the use cases you're describing to me become have traditionally been very homogenous, big footprint applications that didn't need as much um, management abstraction, or like they 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 took away the hardware pieces. Right, and now and now like okay in the in the Canadian telecom sector, for example, they're looking at this technology as the way to prioritize traffic for the business internet versus the consumer internet for. No, you can have slower, a little bit, you know, fractional lag on Netflix, but you can't have it on Zoom business calls. And it's a way for them to start partitioning the network traffic and also use diff different levels of encryption and encapsulation header footer to the packet for introspection for malware in ways that they haven't been able to before. So while the basic of Road M was separating out audio and video, et cetera, and I, I did a lot of work with Alcatel on that and how to, how to break that traffic up. Um, and it was very antiquated at this point, but suffice to say that you have an even bigger requirement for that kind of capability now, whether it's IIoT or IoT, um, you know, the consumer side needs less than the industrial manufacturing or business side. Yeah, I can just hear some senator or congressman pointing to this as anti-network neutrality. But, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I see where you're, where you're going on this. When you have that kind of differentiation in the traffic and you can make the case for it and and prioritize it just the way you would do any kind of multi-path bus infrastructure multi you know with topics or or channels that are given priority over others yeah mm -hmm. I, I i get it um i'm sorry well, why I, would who is sorry why would they do that if pardon I was going to ask you, who is GraphCore? I don't know them. GraphCore is a client and one of our little fledgling, boy, are they coming out with some interesting stuff. Where I like it is around things of where you would take AI going forward for automotive, as an example. By, by using this kind of IPU technology, whether it's at the network side or actually in the processing side to create the parallelism, it would give life to rapid um, under millisecond response. So for things is, it, like is it low power enough that, uh, I guess you probably have answered the question, is it low powered enough to be put into autos, into arrow, um, it will be. It will so be. That you can and use use it as a, you know, basically a, a, a supercharging or or you know kind of and yeah supercharging the the bus the buses that are are kind of built into these into these pieces of you know flying and rolling equipment. Yes, um, it is. It is close to what it needs to be, 
I think you're also going to see there's another company that um, I'm involved with that I can't really disclose, but think about it as being made in graphene versus silica. Embedded. That's where you're going to see the most. But if you think back to my first comment to Rob about heat, that's the biggest issue. Huh. Huh. Heat is the biggest issue for these kind of IPUs. They can, it can be depending on what you put it with and what else, and how small the container of it is. There there have been issues with heat and giving off more even at you know um, how do I put it even in in some large use cases that they've been working on where you see the fluctuation in a way that's kind of a little bit unanticipated. But I look at GraphCore and I see, and I see this is where uh, automotive, aero, defense, healthcare, like, like research in healthcare, uh, that sort of stuff is going to go. How does it help with heat though? That's what, it doesn't I, help. It it, it okay. puts an issue up, out about heat. Those chips get hot, Rob. I believe I believe that. And this is to me. This is you're you're putting more you're putting more silicon in a box. Um, yeah. Right. There's I, that's that's the funny thing about a lot of this stuff. They talk about it being offloading. You know the C, you know, all, all these things are like drive your CPUs more efficiently because you're offloading stuff from the CPU, so you have more CPU available for 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 workloads. Um, yes. Which means you know that those those cycles aren't aren't disappearing; they're going into a, right. you know, I mean, side, a sidecar. Right. You're driving up. You're driving up. Effectively, you're driving up the power density of an individual server, which goes back to the awkward points we were making earlier. If you want to get the benefit of the extra processing then you have to maximize use of both. Right. Um, it's not as if you're going to say, oh, we're still only going to use 100 watts in this server, but we're going to put 40 of them on the NIC and 60 on the CPU. Yeah. I want to use 100 watts on the CPU and 60 of them on the um, NIC. <laughs> so that becomes problematic because you could take a stack that's easily, easily configured for 12 kW and turn it into 18 kW. Yeah. And that's problematic for virtually all but you know five percent of data centers in the world yeah that's a, uh, that's, a that's a mismatch that's a that that would be overclocking yep effectively yeah there's there's an element though where um this it does open up the opportunities for arm for broader arm adoption right a lot of these ipus are arm based maybe not the intel ones but um are are arm based and you know part of the Extractions that you we could do is actually enable more ARM servers to take over. So it could actually lower the broader. Actually, I, I don't know that that's true. I think there's a whole question about why ARM adoption is slow, um, and there's a whole management question in the middle of all this stuff, which is now you're turning a single server into it, you know, a, a, two, a two-headed management monster. Um, yeah. I, I mean. Uh, actually, uh, Rob, if you don't mind me hijacking for two, two seconds, I actually think that that would be a really interesting call for us to have, especially if we could get somebody on 
who is an authority in this space, because I've wondered the same thing about broader arm adoption. I mean, mm-hmm. from a from a simpleton's perspective, meaning my perspective, it would seem that we are building infrastructure. We're actually not building infrastructure. We're attempting to build applications that are more discreet in how they ask for CPU time, right? And or um, shorter lived in how they use CPU time by virtue. There may be just as many CPU calls over the, the, the span of an application's transactions, but each of the calls are happening individually uh, or, or distributed and happening for very brief periods of time, which you would think makes sense for lower power, um, smaller CPUs. But I, I find, awkwardly enough, that virtually everyone I talk to is like, well, I, I don't just need the fastest CPU. I need the fastest CPU that also has um, um, this particular uh, uh, instruction set yeah. in order to maximize utilization of my application. So I, um, I don't know whether there just isn't enough of the quote unquote, you know, perfect uh, um, uh, distributed applica- uh, infrastructure use application, or if it's just too early or if I'm just too dumb to recognize where ARM verse really fits versus, um, you know, where it could fit. I, I have some answers to those questions based on what, what we observe. Yeah. Um, if that's, if that's of interest, the, the, the thing, the thing that, so, and, and I think it's going to be more helpful as you've got, um, you know, Apple, Apple MacBook and ones coming out where people are actually forced use arm uh, i have one and it's you know i'm not trying to do anything esoteric on it but it's awesome to have a you know 12 plus hour battery life in a laptop yeah um so there, there's real there's real benefits right and and amazon's been doing a good job pumping out um arm servers at very low cost points so there's reasons to, to use them the the challenge in arm is that it is a different binary set and so when you start packaging any application, all of a sudden you start bumping into that wasn't packaged or built for this operating system. And it doesn't take a lot of bumps in that road for you to decide that it's not worth, that it's too much hassle. Um, right. And that's not even getting to the idea that those might not be optimized for your use case. So, yay, I'm doing a web server with, you know, it, not not a lot of overhead. There, you're not compiling a lot of stuff. It's not a big deal. But you start building a real application, and all of a sudden, you know, performance efficiency pieces might make a, a really big difference in how well, how the thing is structured. Yeah. Well, and I, and I, I would I would sorry. I'm not sure who I cut off. I apologize, Klaus. Um, all right. Um, sorry, Klaus. Uh, really quick. Um, I accept that and and actually uh, i mean that's that mirrors uh, chip adoption uh, kind of across the board over the last 20 years right going from just brute forcing with x86 to using something else that mirrors that adoption um but you would think if arm really offered the benefit that it does when adopted um appropriately even if scale were the requirement or especially if scale were the requirement in order to to justify the expense of coding towards it, that we would get more of that uh, adoption in cloud infrastructure ahead of time. And yet, I don't know right now of any major cloud provider 
that has a significant portion, even a measurable portion of their infrastructure um, on um, ARM chips? Um, well, I mean, cloud providers are, are starting to, to provide cloud chips like uh, AWS, Graviton, and so on. Uh, I mean, the, the, the adoption, is, I would say, is not so much for lack of availability, it's more for uh, hesitancy on, on, on the user side. And, and that's, that's what I was going to talk towards, is that the, I think the problem with ARM adoption is, is, is not so much the, the, the binary incompat incompatibility between uh, Intel and, and ARM. It's more, that, it's more that ARM is a fragmented ecosystem. Like you, you, your binary that you built for for Graviton is is not necessarily compatible with your Raspberry Pi, which is not necessarily compatible with your M1 chip. So, when you're targeting ARM, it's it's not a homogeneous ecosystem like Intel is. It, well, I mean, I mean, it's not like like a homogeneous ecosystem like Intel is right now. It, it's more like like uh, late '90s, I would say. Um, where you still had significant fragmentation. I mean, you had a, a cord that, that was cross-compatible of instructions, but then Intel, AMD, we still had VIA and, and several other chipset oh, yeah. manufacturers, uh, uh, which each tried to do their own thing. Um, and, and that's where we are, I think, right now with, with ARM. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense, Klaus. That makes a lot of sense. I, I, um, I should have considered the fragmented nature of the environment. I mean, I, I, I went over to meet with. Um, I was actually thinking about taking a strategy position with um, ARM, and in retrospect, maybe I should have since they got acquired for so much money. But um, uh, in speaking with some of the executives there, um, part of what, interestingly enough, part of what they wanted me to work on was um, how to better position. Uh, arm um, because of this risk you just mentioned. Mm. This is an interesting. The fragmentation is is a really really big cost for people implementing implementing these systems, right? I mean, we deal with the fragmentation just around the Intel, where you have IPMI and Redfish, and things are pretty standard. Um, arm even getting Arm systems to boot in a consistent standard way has not been trivial. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, that's a big, and that's a big deal when it comes to doing a, a rollout. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it, it's just, you know, if you buy X86 and you call somebody and say, do you support X86? They're going to say, why are you even asking? It's just that simple. And yep. if you're trying to do speed to deploy um, and, and low overhead management, the other problem is, is that most organizations, especially if they're deploying their own stuff, um, rarely think of the power draw of their equipment as the big mm -hmm. expense, right? Because uh, overall, it's not like a data center operator uh, as in a cloud provider where the power draw is actually one of the top three expenses they have in running their data centers. Um, it's not the same for somebody who's putting a, a $20 million application on 10 racks of servers, the power draw for those 10 racks of servers are almost meaningless to them. So if they spend another 20 or 100 kilowatts on that environment because they're using x86 chips, but it gets them to market faster and leaves them with fewer problems for future upgrades, et cetera, 
then it's a no-brainer. You, you also don't have the fear of lock-in. That's right. Uh, again, because of the, the fragmentation. Yep, exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, are, these are really hard. I can I can tell you, even implementing AMD, like we 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 just helped customers um, who are implementing AMD as an alternative to Intel, and all of the major hardware OEMs revved all of their tools to support um, AMD. And this isn't even new chips instruction sets. Different chip manufacturer, same instruction set, caused all of the OEMs to rev their tools. Wow! Like they. A whole new generation, like we literally, you can't use the old generation of, of management tools against the our, our, against the AMD servers. This isn't even that big of a jump. It, it, um, is that uh, uh, because of uh, an environmental change or is it because the tools were hard-coded towards uh, in, Intel identifiers? Uh, the latter is more than anything else. So what we had, what, what we saw was that we'd been using the previous generation of tools and the vendors didn't backport support for the new chipset because it is a whole new chipset into that, those, their tools, they took their new tools and said, oh, this is the latest generation. We're not going to, we're not going to support the old generation anymore. And it, it caused a hard break. Um, it's not a hard break. They'll, they're maintaining the old tools for those platforms. The new tools work for both platforms. That's where they invested their time. This is normal hardware, parts, hardware software innovation cycles at play. You know, companies don't keep maintaining old tools or fixing old things. Um, it's just not practical. So there was a forced migration to the latest generation of management tools. Right. But the challenge is, is that ARM is going to have has the same, you know, that that and more. And the lack of your point earlier, the lack of standardization from the vendor's perspective means that you've got, you know, 10 different chipsets with different tools and they're not. It's it's been a I, people underestimate how how big of a factor operational complexity is in, in some of these choices. Um, yeah. I mean, this this may be. You know, of all the things that some of us have discussed over the last few years about um, the potential difficulty in getting um, uh, rapid and broad adoption of um, edge use cases, um, we've often talked about the developer uh, as being one of the biggest holdups because the developer may be mostly used to an AWS um, type deployment model and management model. And mm -hmm. uh, if they can't use that, then they may be hesitant to try and learn or use something else. But um, it's quite possible that, um, you know, the very part of Edge that makes um, multi-chip leverage so interesting may be something that will hold up the development of applications um, to run at the edge, because I mean, realistically, you know, if I'm if I'm looking at edge, uh, in in my you know again my simple approach to thinking about processing, I'm thinking that there are obvious workload opportunities for at, at least five different chipset models, at scale over time, uh, and in some cases those chipsets are working in tandem for the same application or group of applications. Um, so, you know, this, this may be the standards associated with edge, 
that are much more important than what most people are working on. Like most people are working on, oh, what's the standard for a Kubernetes stack at the edge? Or what's the standard for an edge data center? And to me, those things are almost unimportant. Uh, it's actually funny that, that, that you bring up Kubernetes because I was thinking that, um, yeah, so Kubernetes could be one of the, the drivers for adoption of ARM if they if it, if it supported uh, mixed uh, mixed hardware clusters Let, let's say let's say you, you start your Kubernetes cluster let's say with, with, with your control plane on, on, on Intel and you, you need and you want to deploy some arm containers right now you cannot mix and match that or at least not very well but if if there was some work done on the Kubernetes side to say, Okay, we'll, we'll we'll tag the these nodes uh, as being ARM, and you just deploy your ARM workload on, like with with a, uh, on 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 the ARM uh, node node pool. That would make adoption a lot simpler, because you you're allowed your transition period from one type of hardware to another, without going for without fully investing it in it. Right. Right. Interesting. And yeah. And for us to have a multi-purpose, this is, and we come back to in an edge perspective for us to have a multi-tenant general purpose edge infrastructure, which I, you know, I, I go back and forth on whether it's a practical dream or not, but if that was to happen, then you, you know, having variation in, in your infrastructure is going to be really hard to manage that. Joanne, did you want to give a thought? Yeah, I do have a thought. I think we're going, you know, history repeats itself. And years and years ago, whether it's the 80s or the 90s, there were a lot of there were a lot of stacks that were developed for single purpose use. And I see that generalized multi-tenant edge farm, for lack of a better word, as kind of a Rubik's cube where some will be blue and call them ARM or call them Intel and some orange will be ARM and some will be the IPU dedicated machines that are for network traffic and other things like AI. And that's what it's going to look like. And I think you will see over the next two years, the development of standards. There's standards being discussed in IEEE about this and also in the semi industry itself where people are aware, but, you know, there are, there are also co-operators and competitors, so they're not going to talk too much about it, but they're looking at the workload and the industry verticals that they can attack with their, you know, what I would call a superpowered FPGA or ASIC sort of environment and go after that. Some of it will be related to smart cities. Some of it will be related to smart manufacturing. But a lot of it is being dedicated to AI. And a lot of that talk is also being dedicated to cobotics and robotics as they're coming in. The next iterations of these things. You know, the more you see um, inferences to equipment like Spot, right, which is um, Boston Dynamics, the machines that are now being used in the real world, not only for things like packing and picking in, in factories, but for military use and others, this is where that back end talking to those devices, including automotive, 
are going to come. So it's a bit premature. I don't disagree about the fragmentation, but that dream of multi-tenancy for edge, I think is just going to have um, micro-sized apartments for different, or compartments, I should say, for the different kinds of chips, sets, and the binaries that go with them. And I don't see that being all that pie in the sky, no pun intended. No, it's... There's nothing that prevents you from building it. Um, and that also... Go I ahead, Klaus. Uh, I was just going to say, like, uh, I, I agree with, with your statement that, that this has happened before. <laughs> uh, and I mean, I, I, I see progress in, in computing in general as, as a cyclical nature. And, and, and a couple of months back, we were discussing about uh, when we were talking about edge, like edge versus centralized servers. And on statement I made there, and, and I still stick by it, is, is that, yeah, I, I see it cyclical. Like, you, we started with with with, with mainframes, and, and then we 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 moved out of the central uh, location with, with with microcomputers, and and then we 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 did servers, and now we're doing edge, and and it, it's it's a it's a cycle of of expansion and, and contraction, and and I see it mostly as a as a as a function of uh, of a balancing. Uh, flexibility versus uh technical limitations so when when you're running into technical limitations mm. things start contracting uh when those limitations uh when we step past those limitations when some new technologies come out we start expanding again uh so i, I mean the the cycle with with with, with socs and, and, and asics and, and chips might be slower than that, but I, I I would argue that there there's a good parallel there, saying that like we're, oh. we're, we have not, we're now in a phase where we're we're toying out into new technologies, so we're seeing this expansion in, in on, on this as a, as a result fragmentation. Um, once the dust settles, we're gonna see some coalescing again, uh, and then we're gonna run in, into we're going to run into some limitations. We're going to see some new technology in maybe 20 years from now, and then we're going to see another expansion like that. At least that's my prediction. I, I, I think your prediction has a lot of merit. I, I think that if you connect that with the IPU um, friend here, that that will create a buffer, a buffer against some of the heterogeneity that you're predicting and Joanne's predicting. Um, and so it could be that there's these these two trend lines intersect in a way that actually makes it possible for us to have the heterogeneity that I hear the two of you talking about and some more management commonality, which I, I wouldn't disagree with that statement. Yeah. I think, though, the the I would move it fast forward to a 10 year time frame. And if I had to go with anything very common wordy, I would say. This is the point, the tipping point, where we see parallelism and, and distributed come together based on the workloads. And to, to Mark, I would say your question about our workloads being repatriated, the answer is yes. And it's because of the cost 
primarily, but also because of the dedication to workloads. A lot of big enterprises are looking at what do I really want to accomplish with this workload in a far more granular way now than they did even four or five years ago. And like I'm in the middle of writing a piece about um, uh, the tipping point for the big hyperscalers being not only the cost, but the rethink of what do I really want to accomplish with this instead of the massive lift and shift that we already saw. And a lot of that is being driven out of IIoT um, because the early adopters to digital, and I'm not trying to be long-winded about this, but the real raison d'etre, if I had to give one, would be the early digital transformers never really thought about the fact that their competitive advantage would be so short-lived. And they're watching it slip away very, very fast, mostly caused by the pandemic, right? Everybody jumped on the bandwagon. We want to jump to the cloud. We want to jump into digital transformation or industry four. That's threatening the big kahunas that were all early adopters. They're watching that advantage slip away. And it's causing that rethink to happen about workloads, about cloud, and about edge. And this is the tipping point where, Mark, edge is going to start taking off very quickly in the next 18 months for sure. But I would say you're going to see significant change in the next six. But this is the reason why. And this is why I, I look at companies like Graphicor and I go, okay, how fast can they capitalize on this? Because right. these trends come together. Yep, that makes sense. And, and with that, we are over time. And I love letting Sorry. Jane have the last word. No, no, I, you were, that, I think that was yeah. a, great, a great summary. And, um, and, not just, not, and not just because I love talking about Edge. <laughs> <laughs> next next week we're going to talk about open source and what's going on next is to check in cool cool all right everybody, oh, Thanks, everybody. take care <laughs> no opinions necessary just come for facts come on back come for, come for fights <laughs> what <laughs> that's fight. what i said that's Kate what fight. i said all right bye and bye, bye. Thanks for joining us in another Cloud 2030 discussion. Uh, this is a really deep topic. There's so much innovation coming in the hardware range that we, we have to be able to look and break apart all of the components that are essential to building this next generation of infrastructure because it is coming. Uh, there's political and economic changes that will accelerate this. We didn't get a chance to talk to in, in this one, but we will in the future. So join us at the2030.cloud and be part of these conversations. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding.
It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.